When you love farming, you want to talk about it all the time. Real people, real farms, grassroots. This is the Ontario AgCast. Welcome to the Ontario AgCast. The Ontario AgCast can be heard along with lots of other great agricultural podcasts and agriculture video blogs on the Farm and Rural Ag Network, farmruralag.com. My guest today is Karen Dallimore. Karen is a freelance agricultural communicator and a first-generation farmer near Orton, Ontario. Karen, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. Okay, I said we were going to talk some more about this whole freelance agricultural communicator thing because you were very specific in how you wanted to be introduced. So why communicator? Communicator because instead of just being a reporter that goes to a scene, I want to be seen as a storyteller. Right, and I think you said you didn't want to be an ambulance chaser. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We're not like the mainstream media kind of thing. (laughs) Farm media is kind of a different kettle of fish. Well, we're going to get into your whole freelance writing slash communicating stuff, but I want to hear a little bit about your farm first, because you're a first-generation farmer, and of course, nobody's going to know where Orton, Ontario is, so maybe tell us where that is located. Orton is sort of in between Guelph and Orangeville, kind of in the middle of nowhere, which is exactly where I've always wanted to be. (laughs) We bought a 75-acre farm here 11 years ago. And I've slowly transitioned it from a cash cropper to hay farming. And I now have 42 acres of hay under cultivation. And I'm so proud of that. So when you say we, that's who? Uh, My hubby, Harry. He has an off-farm job. He works full-time at a roof truss shop. He leaves me to my own devices to run the place. (laughs) Right. He's my go-to tractor man, of course. He loves that part. Are you guys the stereotypical couple that lived in the city and decided you wanted the country life? I wouldn't call us stereotypical. No, uh, <laughs> I, I lived in, in Rockwood for 17 years in the village, and I rented a farm on the outskirts of town. Right. Rockwood is a suburb of Guelph. Yep. It's just outside of Guelph because I had the horses. The horses were my draw into agriculture. Which was not part of your intro, but you are a horse person. I'm a total horse addict. <laughs> okay. So much so that when you lived in town, you rented a spot for your horse. Yep. I rented a barn off a man named Peter Appleyard. And for eight <laughs> years, I went down there and looked after my herd at his place in, in exchange for looking after his one old horse he had left. And then buying hay for the horses probably got to be too expensive. So you said, well, we might as well have a farm then. Well, horses are expensive. Whether it's their hay or their farrier bills or their vet bills or, or, oh, they're they're expensive. And how do you support your horses with the freelance writing? With my communicating. (laughs) Communicating. Okay. Well, tell us a little about that. So you didn't grow up on a farm then. We can sort of dispense with all of that. What was your farm like? All of that. How did you get into ag communications? Um, I always wanted to be a writer and my mother told me, don't do that. There's no money in that. You don't want to do that. (laughs) So I didn't. I worked in horses for eight years. I worked at, at the Roof Trust shop in office management for eight years. But I always did want to be the writer. So as soon as I got my debts under control, I saved up enough money to live for a year in case it didn't work out. And mm-hmm. I went back to school and started writing. I didn't even know ag communication was a thing. I'd never heard of it. And I started doing an apprenticeship with Ginty Jokas, who, who ran me at Canada's outdoor farm show. Mm-hmm. And through a lady named Ann Howden Thompson, uh, I went to a press scrum with her and 
I kept asking her, and what do you ask? And do you take photos too? And do you really like your job? And, I, <laughs> and she was trying to do her, jo- her job, you know, and I, right. I, I was like a little puppy nipping at her heels through this whole press conference. <laughs> and I thought this was just fascinating what she did. And she was so patient with me. That's how I got into ag journalism. Okay, so as a, as a freelance communicator, mm-hmm. do you write an article and then just sort of send it out to a bunch of publications and, and see if somebody wants to pay you for it? Or how does that work? In the beginning, yes, you do them on spec, it's called. And you do some right. for free. You, you do whatever you can to build your portfolio. And then once you start getting some customers paying attention to you, like I had a hard time getting people to acknowledge that I was out there because they say, oh, yeah, yeah, you'll write an article, then you'll be gone. They don't invest <laughs> in until you hang around a little while. And if it's anything like doing podcasts, you know, you do it for a long time without ever getting paid for it. Yeah. They pay you for this? <laughs> no, they don't. That's my point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's lots of things that you could write about if you want to be a writer. Was it your love for horses that you said, well, if I love horses, I probably love everything about agriculture? I didn't really pick what I was writing about. I would take assignments. Some topics would interest me and some wouldn't. And ironically, horses, I don't write about horses as much as I do about other topics, probably because I'm way too passionate and too involved in it to stay (laughs) subjective. I want to stay as subjective as possible. See, and for me, I only write about the stuff that I'm really passionate and committed to. Maybe that's why my writing comes off the way that it does. <laughs> not objective. I've been told that I'm not super objective. Yeah, it's, it focuses more on the craft of storytelling if you don't become emotionally involved with this, the topic. That's probably why I am okay as a blogger. Mm-hmm. Would probably not be able to make a living as a serious journalist. Because you prefer more to put your own opinion out there? Yeah, either prefer or can't help myself. So now when you get an assignment, you would write about it, whether it's something that is particularly interesting to you or not. Yeah, and the challenge is to make it interesting to the reader if I'm not particularly interested in it. Right. And that, to me, that sounds really, really hard. (laughs) You know, if you're not interested in it, how are you making it interesting for the readers? I just pretend I'm at a cocktail party and I'm creating a (laughs) conversation with them. And they just bought me a drink and they say, so what have you written about lately? And I I say, well, I just interviewed with Wendell. And and then I have to find how to tell them that story that they don't walk away from the bar because I want the second drink. Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's a theory. (laughs) Clearly, you're better at cocktail parties than I am as well. (laughs) I'm not at all. There's that. (laughs) What are some of the publications we would see your work in? Ontario Farmer? Mostly Ontario Farmer. Ontario Farmer has been an awesome customer of mine since 06, I believe. 05, actually. How long have you been doing writing as a full-time profession? Uh, Since 02. That's when my business, Words for Hire, was launched. And my first article was on ladies' fashions. (laughs) In what publication? I went in the Oakville Banner, I believe. It was an advertorial for a woman who had a dress store down there and we were talking about the different fashions coming in for the fall. If you saw what I'm wearing right now, you'd know that I don't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the topic. But that was it and that paid the bills. Okay, since 02, so 15 years-ish, and back in 02, it would have all been printed at that time. Yeah, I was still taking photos and getting them developed and mailing them yeah. to the editors. 
it doesn't sound like you say 2002. You go, well, that's not that long ago. But then, man, you really think about what were we doing in 2002. So that industry has changed a ton. Amazingly so. It's so hard to keep up with what's going on. Even the editors can't keep up with what's going on in terms of technology, how to sell their product, how we fit in. Right. Even our style has had to change because people don't read the long, detailed articles anymore. They want news snippets. Yeah, exactly. Well, how do you get paid for a news snippet? You've still gone to the event and you still put all the same time in, but now you've only got like 200 words to sell instead of 800. It's all what grabs people's attention. It's that soundbite or the quote they can put on the front page. Yeah. Well, and so you've taken the writing thing, you know, you've become a leader in that industry. You've been quite involved with an association or a group called the Eastern Canada Farm Writers Association. Yes, that has been an awesome group to get onto. Uh, they're, they're very, um, you don't know they're out there. Unless you're a farm writer, I suppose. Well, even if you're a farm writer, we don't advertise. So it's sort of like, oh, do you know about the Eastern Canada Farm Writers Association? Who? Oh, oh, okay. And then you start getting in there and you network course you get out of it what you put into it too you know you go to the events and stuff but oh it's been awesome for me I was on the board there for 11 years with them and I absolutely loved it I met some awesome people and that I wouldn't wouldn't have met otherwise and and it's uh, more casual than if you were working for them so the organization is it continuing ed yeah is it like learning from each other yeah very much so but it's also the contact so you, you go to the meetings you hand out your business card and all of a sudden, two years later, there's an organization who's got their AGM coming up and they and they don't have a communications officer because they haven't <laughs> hired one. And it's like, oh, my God, we need our booklet done. Oh, I've got this card, you know, and, and yeah. it, it, it works. It really works. It's called old fashioned now to have a business card, maybe, but it's worked for me. <laughs> You've had the the chance to probably meet a lot of people like now we would call them social media celebrities. But there's always been personalities sort of within agriculture. Some are still shy. Some just adore the social media, and that's great too. I mean, it, whatever whatever works, as long as you're you're doing good stuff, it doesn't matter how. So, so the medium has clearly changed, and how it's communicated is the message the same? I guess there's two different categories. You're communicating stuff to a farm audience when you're covering an event or you're writing a story for the Ontario farmer. Do you get into communicating about agriculture to a non-farm crowd? I don't know. I'm sticking within agriculture because I'm communicating a lot of, say, advice to farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, say I'll go to an event like Farm Smart and I'll sit down through eight sessions that day and write them all up, what the speaker said, and try and get that out to the farmers. So I'm, I'm, I'm communicating that kind of information now. That's the way it's gone, and that's what I really, I really do enjoy. As far as advocating, I don't get into that because that gets into my personal opinions, and I still feel, like I mentioned, being a first-generation farmer, I still feel that that's not my place to comment on what farmers do and think because it's just not my place. Okay, can we talk about that for a second? You're a farmer. You bought a farm. You're you're running it. If it loses a bunch of money, notice how I automatically say loses a bunch of money because I know you have horses. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 money losers. <laughs> but you have a 75 acre farm that makes you a farmer. Like for me, I'm not on a farm, and I talk about farming issues. So 
I feel like an imposter sometimes too. And I try not to put myself in a position where I'm speaking on behalf of farmers, but you are a farmer. I kind of feel shy. I feel my shoulders, you know, sucking up around my cheeks when you say that. It's like, oh gosh, really? <laughs> I'm very proud and very humbled by it all. And I hope I do a good job. I feel a great responsibility to do the best by this land I can. And, and as well as the challenge of, of making it pay. Like, do you feel accepted by the farming community? I do. Um, partially, or mostly, actually, because of my writing through the Ontario Farmer. I've, I've had a great reception from from everywhere. I've never had a bad reception. You, you can see, see sometimes when I say something stupid, which is fairly regularly. <laughs> One poor man, I, I said, well, how, how big is your herd of chickens? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a flock of chickens. And you could see the corner of his mouth starting to quiver. He just wanted to break out laughing so badly, but he didn't lift his heart. You know, things like that. That's, that's, just, that's just normal. And, and I've had such great acceptance from the farming community. you got to understand, I, I was born and raised in Toronto. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know where farming came from in my blood. But it was there, and I was lucky enough to go to Guelph and discover agriculture. From there, it's just, you know, I haven't, haven't been able to just stay, stay out of it. So I feel very fortunate that I've made a career in agriculture, and, and it, it's awesome. Tell us about your farm, then. Our farm, Sweetgrass Farm. Sweetgrass Farms. Sweetgrass Farm. I'm looking out my office window at it right now. It belonged to uh, a couple named Clarence and Isabel Beatty, and they were here for 40 years. So this is the old Beatty place. It will always be the old Beatty place. <laughs> a whole bunch of people listening to this aren't going aren't gonna to recognize it. When you say that, I know the place. No way. I've heard somebody refer to the old Beatty place. I don't know why, but that's the way farming is, I guess. <laughs> it, that, that is exactly the way farming is. <laughs> and we're watching the old guard come and go. So the next generation is taking over. And we're watching the people come up from Toronto and and try and understand the farming community. See how diplomatic I'm being there. And, and we watch them come and go. And I say we, because I feel like I'm part of the community. I, I feel like we've respected that community. And so what kind of livestock have you got? You got the horses. How many horses? Uh, six horses right now. Well, that's a reasonable number of horses, I guess. Some days it's reasonable, some days it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Are these all your horses or do you board horses as well? They're all mine. Uh, I I did have a dream when I was in public school, actually, of of raising paint horses. So this was a bit of a realization of that dream. They're called registered paint horses, which is quarter horses with too much white on them. I now have three babies that aren't babies anymore, three geldings that, uh, that were born and raised here. But... I can't part with them, so I'm really kind of useless <laughs> as a breeder. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they're not horses for sale then. No, no, not today, no. <laughs> okay, so there's no income there. What else do you do? I do a little bit of coaching and training. Okay, so lessons. My sport is extreme cowboy racing. Well, tell us about that. Oh, extreme cowboy racing uh, originated down in the States. A fellow named Craig Cameron decided to make a a fun sport out of out of uh, ranch activities. Okay. So what you do, there is a judge, and you pretend the judge is the ranch boss, and that you are being interviewed as a ranch hand. So you have to go into the ring and perform 13 obstacles, and he has to want to hire you. I picture barrel racing a little bit. It's got some of the excitement of barrel racing because you have to do it with a bit of speed, but you don't sacrifice horsemanship. So timed as well as judged. 
Time and judge, exactly. Is this a big sport that a lot of people are into? It's a growing sport. It uh, came to Ontario in 2011 down at uh, Milton at the Canada's Outdoor Equine Expo. And then uh, it's built from there. I actually was on the board for the Ontario Extreme Cowboy for five years, and I developed their rookie racing series. Still evolving, and it probably will for quite some time yet to get going in Ontario. But there's a lot of people interested. You compete still? Uh, Yes, I will be competing this year. Last year, we we took the Green Horse Championship in Ontario with my one homebred boy, Jake. So you've had some success at that. Now you have other people that want to come learn from you. Yeah, it's it's another business I have. It's called Horse Basics. I've been teaching people about horses since, oh, I don't know, 30 years or so. So this has actually become kind of trendy to do obstacle work. It's much like dog agility kind of classes. Mm -hmm. Through that, people learn how to handle their horse better. Then the horse becomes better trained, and they're having a lot of fun. There's not a lot of pressure. There's pressure for competition if that's the way you want to go, but just to do it for fun. Right. Even if somebody just wants to have a better experience with their horse, they could come and... Now, how does that work? Is that like a a one-day seminar? You'd have a group of people that all come to your place? I do have group sessions here. Usually it's one-on-one, though, that from their experience level, they want to build on their own experience level, and they don't want to be embarrassed or anything. Totally non-judgmental. You come on here and, and, you know, you tell me you've been riding five years, but you might not know how to adjust a bridle properly. Yeah. And I'll go and show you that, and I won't make you embarrassed that (laughs) she didn't even know how to do a bridle. What's the biggest thing people miss about horseback riding? I know you you said non-judgmental, but I know I'm trying to get you to tell me funny stories about people that come out and just don't have a clue. What's the thing you find you have to tell people some of the basics right off the bat? Some of the basics right off the bat, I've always I've always been hesitant, as I'm hesitant now, you can hear in my voice, <laughs> to tell them how dangerous a horse can be. Because I've seen a lot. I've never broken a bone, but I've been I've been slapped around a fair bit by them. Until you get your foot stepped on, basically you don't realize how much that they can hurt. And so I try to keep people safe without scaring the living daylights out of them. You can happily go through your life without I forget. I don't want to say that. I was going to say, you can happily go through your life without ever getting on a horse. I do it, but I don't want to go there. Well, there's some people who never want to get on a horse and they just want to be around it. And that's fine too. There's tons to do without ever getting on a horse. There's a whole relationship thing with horses that's being explored right now. It's called equine assisted learning. And that's where you look at the horse and you actually see reflections of your own personality in the horse and you see how the horse deals with it in the herd and then you take lessons from that to learn how to deal with it in your herd which could be your workplace this is funny because hubby and i we have conversations over dinner he has the roof dress shop and there's uh, (laughs) um, maybe 10 to 20 employees depending on the time of the year and we'll go through the employees and we'll try and peg them in terms of who our horses are (laughs) (laughs) okay okay so horse personality identification yeah you you really it's fascinating because horses approach things they're they're not judgmental i mean you're there you're not they're hungry or they're not yeah you know they're not gonna plot to do something to you or hold a grudge or you know all those wonderful things that people seem to do sometimes right i can tell you've got a connection with the with the horses oh my god yes and that's where it shouldn't surprise me. You uh, are also an equine midwife. 
Oh, best job in the world. I've got over 300 foals documented, delivered, and I'm very proud to say I hold the farm record for delivering the most foals in one night, and then that was six foals in a night. So you're like a specialist, like a sheep farm at lambing time would have somebody that's there who just knows how to assist in in lambing, or a dairy farm could have a transition cow manager that is really good at calving and assisting. You do that kind of thing for horses. Yeah, it's uh, and I went on the job with no experience except I had worked at the Alora Beef Research Station and I delivered a calf once. <laughs> and, and my boss, okay. uh, John McKnight, he he said, "Oh, well, you'll be fine, no problem." <laughs> learn, learn as you go. Yeah, I've had some great bosses along the way, and they said, "Do you have any experience?" And I say, "No, but I'll learn." And they said, "You're hired." It was an awesome job, and and big part of the reason it was so awesome, first, because of the foaling itself. You never know what's going to happen. It can go wrong so fast. You've got to think on your feet, and I love that. It was a a huge challenge. It was also a 12-hour night shift, worked alone, so it suited my temperament. (laughs) I worked best alone, so that worked great. And it also gave me an opportunity to travel, because our season happens to be the opposite of Australia and New Zealand. And so I would finish up up here and get on a plane and go down there and do the same thing. I don't think I knew that there was a season for foaling. Jeez, look, listen to me. Yeah, it's called foaling. Uh, foaling season for the racehorse industry. It starts in January. For more practical reasons, it starts more towards April. Beginning of April would be the peak. And then it would drizzle off until June up here. First to June, they want to be done by then. Okay. Just commercially speaking, the foals have to be produced and be of a certain age to enter the racehorse industry. And you're not connected directly with the racehorse industry anymore? Uh, Other than writing about them for the Ontario farmer. (laughs) Right. But I imagine a lot of what you cover would be more politics and industry kind of stuff. I wouldn't be writing about how to deliver a foal for Ontario <laughs> Farmer. No, no. Um, I, I do write about the, the, the horse racing industry issues that have been ongoing with getting the funding and trying to make sure that story gets out there correctly. So that's been something I've been covering for a while. And, and if I, well, I just did a little blurb on the Can-Am Equine Emporium, which is a more general thing. I just try and bring some horse stories. I'm, I'm their horse girl. The editor calls me their horse girl. <laughs> so if anything comes across his desk that says horse on it, I end up with it, which is perfect. I love that. So Karen, I don't I'm not a person who has the same understanding of, of horses, don't have don't feel the same connection that you do. But at one time, if I was in agriculture, I would have had to have a relationship with horses because horses were so entrenched. Where do horses fit into agriculture today? Oh, they they still got a huge role. And I don't say that just because I'm into them. I say that because there are farmers out there who are finding finding peace through doing some of their field work with horses. Of course, there's the Mennonite community who depend on the mm-hmm. horses uh, in a huge way. The horse racing industry is a strong market for agriculture. There's a lot of hay people out there that are, and feed people and machinery people that rely on some of their income from the horse racing industry. So, so in terms of the economy, it's really strong. But in terms of the general horse owner, the horses have evolved to be more pets now. Yeah, I can say that, all right. I would say that's fair, yeah. They're more regarded as pets, and that that can become infuriating at times (laughs) because, you know, you have to make some decisions at times that are more practical. 
when it comes to a horse, something the size and expense of a horse. And, and they're also being used in social ways. People are connecting with them. And in that way, I think there's an opportunity for agriculture to connect with people that they may not connect with otherwise. I mean, if somebody's got a horse, all of a sudden hay may become important to them or weed control or, mm-hmm. um, you know, instead of wanting to ride through a person's field, they may, might go, oh, well, that's a crop field. That's a person's right. living. They may become more understanding of agriculture through horses. So I think there's a very important link to be had with an urban community. And I can't tell you, Karen, the number of people that I've had on this show that I've interviewed that didn't grow up in agriculture, but because they got interested in horses and then that led them into, well, sort of like with you as well, that larger agricultural community. And if that's someone's gateway to getting interested, just like you say, in sort of the land outside of the city Mm -hmm. and maybe how their food is grown, Mm -hmm. yeah, I can see where that's, that's an important bridge almost. It is, and, and I couldn't go back and tell you what my life would be like if I didn't want that pony, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay, Karen, real quick, before we wrap it up here, I want to do a couple of real easy horse trivia questions. You should get these, and Karen, these, these should be no problem for you at all because my dedicated research assistant took these right off of fun horse facts for kids, so oh, this should geez. be simple. <laughs> I may miss those. Okay, carry on. <laughs> all right. A male horse is called a... A gelding or a stallion. Right. A stallion or gelding. So you're one for one. That one was an easy one. Okay. Horses can gallop around what speed? I think quarter horses can get up to 30 miles an hour. Oh, 27 miles an hour. 30 is close enough. You are killing killing this. I've ridden one of those too. That was fun. At 30 miles an hour? I don't know how fast we were going, but I know it was fast. It was Pico Downs. I got a chance to, to blow out a horse on the track there. That, it was a thrill. But my mother would not let me be a jockey. So <laughs> no. I carried on. <laughs> okay, one more question. Yeah. Horses have part of their anatomy that is larger than any other mammal that lives on land. What part of the anatomy is that? Oh, my God. I don't know. I'm sitting here looking out my window at, at a 1,300-pound horse, and I can't figure <laughs> out how... How any part of him would be larger than a whale. <laughs> we'll see how, how dirty your mind is. It's their eyes, Karen. Their eyes uh-huh. are bigger than any other mammal that lives on land. Really? Okay. Yeah. There you go. So horse trivia, you were you were two out of three, which is really good. <laughs> and what would you what would you tell someone? You can choose. You can either what advice would you give a young person thinking about getting into horses? Or what would you tell a young person thinking about getting into ag communications? Uh, Oh, I'm a big advocate of ag communications, uh, just because I didn't even know it was there. And it's so important. It's so important. And it's important to do it right. Definitely give it a try. Um, I'll be your mentor. I don't mind. And as far (laughs) as getting into horses, I'd turn to their parents and say, are you sure you want to do this? (laughs) (laughs) Great it's, advice. It's an addiction. It is a total addiction, and it can get very expensive. But I, it's been worth every penny of it to me, and I don't see any chance of it stopping in the near future. Karen, this has been the longest conversation I've ever had with someone about horses, and I, oh, I thoroughly God. enjoyed it. <laughs> so thank you for that, and and you got to put all of your best tolerating people at a cocktail party to use. Yay! So good for you. 
thank you for uh, for joining me and being a guest on the Ontario Whitecast. Well, thank you so much for, for the chat. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Hopefully we get a chance to talk again soon. Good. Thank you. Happy trails. This has been the Ontario Agcast. The Ontario Agcast is produced by Christine Schoonerwood and is proud to be part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network, where you can find all of the best agricultural podcasts and agriculture video blogs. Be sure to check out our new digital publication, the Ag Now magazine, and the Farm and Rural Ag Network exclusive podcast with myself, Tim Hammerich, and Rob Sharkey. If this is the last show we ever do, it's been fun. If not, we'll see you next time.